Hi, everyone. Welcome to Consulting with Authority. This is Scott Cantrell, and I'm really excited today to be joined by my friend and colleague, Mike Churcherillo of Church Consulting. Uh, Mike and I met not too long ago, actually, but uh, from our first conversation, I knew that he was someone that I needed to have on the podcast. Mike, I'll do a quick introduction for you in just a moment, but thanks for being here. Uh, pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today, everybody, we're going to explore with Mike background, his expertise, and glean some insights and thoughts and expertise from his background and what he's doing now with church consulting related to helping small to mid-sized businesses properly navigate business and strategy, especially in the post-COVID world. And as we're recording this, we're we're starting to wrap up, hopefully, knock on wood, the COVID phase of our of our world. And, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but what we do know is that business owners and business leaders are going to need outside help and direction related to navigating this brave new world that we're finding ourselves in. And as one of my business coaches has told me repeatedly, there is not going to be a return to normalcy. There is truly a new normal and there'll be certain things that we go back to, uh, but certain things have, have probably changed forever. And our goal for you, our listeners, and our viewers with Consulting with Authorities to make sure that you're positioned to take advantage of those changes. So, Mike, I just want to kick off. First of all, again, thanks for being here, but I want to kick off by sort of having you tell us your story. Give us a little bit about your background and uh, how you got to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, just to give a little bit of background, I guess, on, then on myself, I my experience, it really, uh, I cut my teeth in the manufacturing world starting uh, immediately after the 2008 recession. So at that time, uh, I was green coming into the professional world and my, my family had acquired a, uh, at that time, tool and die and high volume metal stamping uh, manufacturer in, in uh, central Illinois. Being 90 plus percent automotive at that time, you know, we, we acquired the company literally days and, and two weeks uh, before the, the Lehman Brothers officially uh, one belly up. So the, wow. it, it was a crazy timing um, to say the least. So um, that that's was kind of my introduction into manufacturing. You know, I jumped into the operation side and, and being a, a greenhorn 22 years old and, you know, not really having uh, really any understanding or really appreciation, let's be real, of, of what manufacturing is and, and what it takes. You know, I, I, I learned the, the very early on that really the only thing that I can put anything to was my work ethic. You know, when you're you're 22 at the time, mm-hmm. you don't really know the the world of manufacturing and trying to get the culture of tool and die journeymen to to want to rally behind you is is not a easy feat. So I put everything on my work ethic and I put it on Google. So I figured with you know Google and then YouTube and you know just not being outworked is really what everything kind of came together. I, I always tell people the first three three and a half years was like the running getting thrown on a treadmill going at 10 and just tumbling, <laughs> tumbling, tumbling. And it, it was just one of those things as anyone that's been in the manufacturing world knows a uh, uh, firefighting was something that really was my life for so long. And I thought that's how manufacturing was done, quite frankly, you know, is just you jump from need to need. So my experience and exposure really kind of started from that putting out fire after fire, whether that's purchasing and then coming, you know, not only put the tourniquet on the situation, but now let's create the, the purchasing procedures, implement a quality program. Uh, the, the really the thing that kicked off my training was our ERP. We decided we were chosen as a beta site for Epicor's ERP cloud-based system. At that time, you know, bringing that, you know, cloud-based technology into manufacturing was 
you know, not really heard of. It was mm -hmm. very, a lot of risks there, a lot of cybersecurity, a lot of, you know, just overall question marks. We wanted to do something, you know, we wanted to not just become, you know, uh, on the same level with everyone. We wanted to use this opportunity if we need to invest into an ERP system to really leapfrog. So that was instrumental in my career because that I had to learn both the previous systems, you know, Excel and Access and QuickBooks and how it was pieced together and the new system so then I could be able to train people on it. And what I realized was that unlocked the information. And once I unlocked how to get into your information, how to access it, then it, things started to turn where now I was able to be a little bit ahead of the game. I was able to see trends and I was able to understand and kind of pivot ahead of time. Um, so yeah, so just to kind of that first portion of my life, that first six years, we were in one facility. So I kind of break it up because then we had a facility move in there, which hardest thing I've ever done in my professional career was a facility move. Um, proud to say it was all the team, you know, but we we had uh, we were able to make the move without missing a delivery date, without getting, you know, building up inventory, had riggers literally at that 400 ton press as the coils running out to unload it. And, <laughs> but that was big for me because then that gave me the opportunity to apply all of what I've learned over the last six years into a brand new setting. And during those first six years, we were at that time, tool and die, high volume stamping. So we decided to invest into fully automated fabrication cells or turrets, press breaks, spot welding, MIG TIG. That way we can go from high volume coil to short, mid-sized run, flat stock, you know, prototype, short run as it, it's in the growth mm -hmm. phase to then high volume when they want to invest into a tool to, to produce and get the pricing down. Gotcha. So, that process opened up a whole new bag of worms. You know, now you're talking about new job descriptions, new talent requirements, new processes, new quality inspection procedures. So, you know, that at that time, we're, we're trying to fit this fabrication flat stock into this already established stamping operations. So, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't very efficient. So moving over, I was able to apply all of these 5S, Six Sigma, buzzword mm -hmm. things I'm learning from Google and actually put them to use, you know, and I, I have to say that I'm not, 5S certified. I'm not a black belt, but I can tell you that I've taken these principles, learned them, read the Toyota way and applied it, you know, to what was practical for my setting. And I think that that was, that was big to try to be able to take these concepts and apply them. Um, and then just to round out the, you know, my, my experience, I moved in me and my brother at that time that we swapped, uh, he was ahead of sales. I was head of operations and, and we flipped positions and my focus was just on top line diversification. I mean, at that time it was 68% with one client, two industries. I mean, that scared the crap out of me. You know, I became president around that time. And, you know, my job at that point was employee job security, you know, for yeah. not just, you know, my family, but the families that we employ. If one of those companies decided to take their ball and go play elsewhere, you know, it's, it, it was game set match. So again, use data, you know, use the, the trends, you know, really try to get in and be analytical about it. Realize, you know, at that time, job costing is something that I can do in my sleep at this point, you know, margin. So when you're quoting, you realize how much the material is and that's your pivot point. So did my research, this good spend for this hot roll pickle and oil that we were using now in flat stock was using the construction world. So I was able to kind of leverage us to get into construction through that process, you started making a lot of galvanized material because of the anti-rusting for outdoor applications. So then that got us into out-of-body medical because you don't need that cert, you know, the in-body medical cert for it. So I, I, I say that because it, it wasn't just work your butt off and, and hope. It's, you know, work your butt off, learn, apply, figure out what's not working, retweak, because all those things then led to, you know, three and a half years later, we're in 
10 different industries and we were down to 22% was with that one client, you know, to really kind of stabilize ourselves. Yeah. And what brings us to here is, you know, we decided to exit the manufacturing environment because we, we wanted to take some of this knowledge and, and do more than just one location, one stamping. You know, I, I, I really wanted to, you know, my family wanted to help out on, on a grander scale. So that was important because now when you go through the exit side of the business, there's a lot of experiences that I went through to understand how do you get your value of your company, the right. intrinsic value up, right? As you go, I mean, all your life's work, you dedicate and sacrifice everything and lost relationships for this. <laughs> You know, and yeah. we'll talk yeah. that, you know, the, the M&A world doesn't see it, the, all that sweat equity in it. So there's a lot of these things of that you could do, whether, you know, a lot of documentation of things that in the moment don't see value, but now going through that exit strategy, you know, it's stuff that we're trying to take church consulting and apply that to the, these more often not family businesses. And mm-hmm. I, I say that because it's not just, you know, blood relatives, it's friends come in and friends of friends and right. That's all family because now you can't just say the same way you say it to any you know employee. You got to put a little bow on it, maybe. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that that kind of gives a little bit of background on on my lens that I'm applying to it. You know what I've learned, is, especially as I'm consulting with more and more businesses in this turnaround situation. I have been my family's been wired. All you know, the church team has been wired where our backs have, are, have been against this wall. And in manufacturing, if you've been in it for more than a decade, you're one step away from a turnaround. You're one quality issue away from cash reserves just being gone. So yeah. I didn't realize that how resourceful I was getting and how creative you get to find that, you know, you, you're going to find the path. You just might need to zig and zag and bring people in and use everything at your disposal. There's a lot there. And uh, just from your background, I totally understand why you, I totally understand the benefit of that church consulting has coming from the space and uh, certainly admire I think a lot of consultants have that same experience, right? Where they've been in an organization or the leader of an organization or an executive within an organization, and they've been able to affect meaningful change within that scope, within that, within that universe. And then they realize the value of what they actually did, right? And they realize they have a passion for that activity, whatever that, that expertise, that activity. And so they take that exit the space, whether it's through an acquisition or a sale or just, you know, a career transition to start their own consulting business. And I think a lot of people have gone through that path. And so I completely admire that and love the fact that you now are sharing the magic, so to speak, that is a lot of blood, sweat and tears. But what you learned was you learned a lot of things that did work, right? That you can duplicate for others, but you learned those things a lot through trial and error, I'm sure. So I wanted to dive down into two areas. One thing is almost just a note, but I, I wrote it down because I think it's always good to be reminded of this. You talked about being a in your mid-20s, coming into this organization, kind of being overwhelmed by all the responsibilities and obligations that you had, not knowing, not having the, the expertise or education when you began, but knowing the need for it. And so rather than just throwing up your hands and overwhelm or walking away, you said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch this thing by the tail and hold on to it. And what you did was you went to Google, mm-hmm. uh, you went to what I like to call the Internet University, IU, and taught yourself these, I mean, I, it's all over my head, these technical, you know, quality control processes and management processes and so forth. And you're self-taught in that way. That's a pretty remarkable thing. But the note I wanted to share with, you know, to say it out loud for just a reminder of everyone, there's not really an excuse in today's world for at least not having access to the expertise, 
right? The answers are online if you are willing to invest the time and effort to to learn or to hone a skill or to acquire a new type of, of expertise. That's pretty impressive. So that was just a reminder yeah. to me that I, I have no desire and hopefully I will have no need to go learn Six Sigma off of sure. Google. But uh, the, the reminder is that if I needed to or wanted to, I could. Right. And, and again, I'm not I'm not uh, shortchanging formal education by any stretch of the imagination. But nevertheless, this idea that you can get the basics, get the foundations and start to put it in practice through Internet University, I think is worthy of, of, yeah, of stating. The other thing that I wanted to tap into, and this may sort of be a thread through our conversation, is you talked about how sort of a, a focal point for you in the decision making that you were making was that it was objective. And then it was database decision-making. Mm-hmm. And I want to explore that a little bit further for a lot of consultants out there, right? We've got, we've got consultants who listen to podcasts who are definitely high-end technical you know, types of consultants. They go in and they're talking about specific technical aspects. We've got other consultants that are more strategic in their nature, more management and business focused. And then we've got consultants that are more on the human resources side. Sure that are helping people be better people and perform at a higher level in any of those categories, right? I think it's critically important to have data-based decision-making as a core foundational component of that. Can you speak to how you guys leverage this? You know, how do you, how do you get the data you need? How do you determine what data you do need? And then how do you go, how do you actually, what's sort of your general process for analyzing that data to make the decision? Because I know for a lot of folks out there, data analytics is kind of a buzzword in the consulting space and, and across many industries right now. And it kind of, oh, we'll, we'll use data to make the decision or we'll use data analytics or insights from data. And it sounds great, but actually putting it into practice is a totally different thing. So kind of give us an example or walk us through kind of what you all do on your end to, to be able to aggregate, uh, collect, aggregate, analyze, and then deliver uh, decisions based on that data. You know, th- this is actually a, a big reason of, of, of Church Consulting's business where we, we collaborate. And one of our collaborations and partnerships is with a company out of Silicon Valley called Untwine AI. So they specialize in this data analytics, the um, artificial intelligence, really the digital transformation of, of not just getting, you know, your, your data, you know, in a readable form, but doing something with it and automating that process, that decision making. And that, that is something that we're, we're so it is so critical to success, you know, especially with the technologies that we have, you know, behind us, behind the scenes now collecting this data, right. that it is so obscure and scary that you end up kind of having this mountain of data overload and just don't know where to go, which is why we, we started this partnership with them. And we're, we're actually starting to open up free one hour proof of concept consultations where we have a form to fill out, but really just tells us what are you looking to accomplish or what are your questions or are you just starting from scratch or do you have a specific need you're trying to get to? And we're just trying to get experts around, not only from the artificial and data side, but then industry experts, whether it's inventory control, sales and marketing, you've got quality, IT. We bring, so we're bringing the, the re- right resource around to listen to the, the customer. So that that is just near and dear to our heart at Church Consulting, you know, just to kind of dive in on on how I, I personally have used data, you know, in mm-hmm. the manufacturing space, because that's you know, at Church Consulting, we all have, have our passions and we stay in our lane. You know, mine, mine is in that manufacturing space. Of course, I can spread out, but that's where I really, you know, want to hone into. So just speaking relevant in my terms, what I always started off with was kind of this dashboard approach. And what I mean by that is I'd always start off with any 
any department, any department head, and then really want to get down to the people that are pressing the keys or putting together the boxes, the, the doers, that's, that's the gold, you know, is from them, the input from them. But what I would start with is at the top level of the department, but talking about what dashboard, what, how do you make your, like, what's your job and what information inputs do you need to make that, those decisions? Right. And it might be stuff of it's experience, it's black magic, but yeah, it's <laughs> number of POs that we do, you know, delivery dates, whatever it is, inventory on hand. So I always started from there because then I got whether the system could do it or not, I at least understood what they currently do to make their decision. And then as a, as a manager leader, you can start to say, well, have you thought about considering this or that? But really, that's not the time to change anything. You're just trying to give them exactly what they want in one place. So once I have that, then you start to overlay now what all the departments are needing and kind of see where they're all feeding to each other. So, you know, from here, I can go into theoretics of how to use it. But, you know, it really, that was my starting point. And then letting their issues drive, you know, what, what I don't get this information soon enough, or I have to track down this or yeah. that's, that's then where it's, it's the, you get your list of, okay, here's the things that we can use the data to do. So for me... Again, in the manufacturing setting, let's talk about gross margins. So I was getting sick of basically getting a report at the end of the job saying you either made money or you didn't, right? There's things like you, you wait for this report, this gross margin report to say good here, bad here, good here, okay here. Right. It wasn't enough re- you know, proactive. There's a lot of reactive. So we use this data to start to project out based on, in this scenario, quantities completed versus time logged, you know, not set up, but production run hours. Divide that, you know, just simple math behind, you know, behind the scenes and projects out on this pace, you're projected at 30 hours of production time quoted is 20. So right there, you know that you've got an issue. So today I can go out there, get the team around. What is it? Oh, you're waiting on quality. So you're logged in. Can we move the inspection closer in line? And that was a way to use this data, get it quicker. So then we can react quicker. And that's one tiny example where you can talk about you know, really anything else. When you talk about quoting and speed to market and, you know, getting cost transparency, how do you close, improve your close rates using data? You know, that, that was last back end of my you know tenure there, which was all using quotes and customer inputs and prospecting data to figure out how to improve our close rate. So gotcha. I'm just giving you the, the yeah. operations gross margins, but you talk about quality quoting it's everywhere. Well, and to that end, right, regardless of where a consultant engages with an organization, right, whether it's on the operation side, the servicing side, the business development side, or anything in between, right, human resources side, I can imagine decision makers, leaders within those divisions are going to be, it's kind of like the old sales script statement, right, where the sales coach will say, you know, do you have a sales script? The newbie producer, rookie producer says, no, I don't have one. And the sales coach says, no, you do have one. You just don't know what it is. And it's not intentional. It's not the same every time. So I wrote down a question that I'm probably going to start incorporating into my consulting presentations because I think it's incredibly valuable. And it is this. What would you want, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Decision Maker, right? What would you want your data dashboard to look like if you had one? And the idea is, you know, you can also ask them the, the, the other question, which is, do you have a sales script? The other question is, what does your data dashboard look like right now? Or do you have a data or do you have a data dashboard? Well, yeah. no, we don't. Well, you don't in the classical sense, but you do. You are working from data. It just may be wrong. It may be late. It may be early. It may be incomplete, right? Or non-existent, but you are working from some kind of, it may be a mental data dashboard and it may be very, very poor, 
but you are working from some data dashboard. You're making the decision somehow, even if it's just gut check, right? That's right. And so what you're talking about is putting concrete and structure under this. It's more than just a thought experiment, but it can start that way, right? It can start as a mental construct in terms of what would you want your data dashboard to look like in order to make these decisions better. And the other thing that that occurs to me, any, and this will go going back to kind of completing my thought here, any consultant, right, can utilize that same methodology and that same mental construct, regardless of the division, regardless of the decision maker, regardless of the industry that they're talking to. And to that end, they're going to, it's a way to uncover pain points and not just the negative challenges that are facing a division organization, but it's also a heck of a way to identify opportunity costs. That's it. That's right? It. Right. And so, and of course, opportunity cost is a challenge in its own way, but it's this pain versus pleasure, right. you know, exactly. balancing act that I'm referring to. That's huge. And, you know, we could, we're not going to Mike, so I'm not letting you off the hook quite that easy, but we could stop the interview right here. And just this idea of approaching a decision maker with this idea of what does your data dashboard look like or what do you want to look like is, is, is fantastic. Speak to this, I, I, you know, being moving from the implementation role and the ops role of doing these things, right? Mm -hmm. To the point of view where you're helping organizations and leaders and executives and decision makers do these things, right? Adopt and adapt it for their own organization. Obviously the name of our podcast is Consulting with Authority, right? Mm -hmm. So authority is sort of central to everything we talk about. I can only know from my own experience and observe from my own experience, but I want you to speak to it because you're kind of in the midst of this. Talk about the power that data has on a consultant's ability to be seen as a, an authority, right? Mm. When you go in and you're either, whether you come equipped with the data, right? You already have it, mm -hmm. or you're helping an organization uncover it. Talk a little bit about your experience related to that. I guess you could, you could speak to it on both sides. Yeah, well, and that, that's the beauty of, of why we started Church Consulting, because we've been a consumer of the consulting services. And, and that's where, you know, our fundamental mission and just what we're built off of is making sure that we're bringing the right resource to the table. You know, I've been in that situation where you're in a, you know, massive turnaround situation and, you know, the consultant on the other side of the table is recommending putting in barcodes on your inventory. Yes, of course, that would be fantastic. But today when the ship's going down, do I really want to <laughs> put, you know, barcodes on everything? It's not the most I, important thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it was feeling like we were like, Hey, there's availability for this barcode inventory expert. We're just trying to get them on, you know, uh, you know, just to, to be working. So that's why we started, you know, church consulting, which is more of, we all stay in our lanes and we don't bring, no one's on our payroll. So we're just collaborating. We're all experienced CEOs that aren't, you know, most of them are, are much older than I am, 30, 40 years experience that aren't ready to retire and want to, you know, apply all their experience into this middle market, this no man's land, if you will, of, the backbone of our economy of, of the small to mid-sized uh, manufacturers out there. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's just central to everything is kind of staying in your lane. So when you talk about the data, the power of it, for me, it's, it's, it helps that honesty, that relationship, you get right to the point. So you can tell me whatever commentary that I need to hear, or you think I need to hear for you, right. for our relationship, for, to explain what I'm about to see. But when you see it, it brings it all back to, the numbers are telling us this. And if the numbers are wrong, that's fine. You know, no judgment, but then where in the process do we need to fix this? Yep. Right. So like, it's going to give you either we're going to react and make a decision for the data or question the data and need to go figure out how to 
get it more accurate because we're obviously about to make decisions off of that. So that's why it goes back to what decisions does each department need to make their job? Because if you're not tracking that or if they're just pulling out of thin air, then you might be missing a key ingredient here on that, how you're going to pivot and maneuver out of this. So yeah, yeah for, for me, that's, that's critical is that the trust that that is there. And on the opposite side, you know, as a, uh, as a consultant, when I get that data, you know, it's an opportunity to start testing theories. So like for consultants, and mm-hmm. you know, this, you know, part of what the benefit of bringing a consultant on your team is that we're laser focused, right? You've got we're not dealing with the fires. We're not dealing with the, right. this person talked to this person or that person called in late and like we're laser focused. So what's beautiful about when you get that data, most of us consultants are doing the dirty work when you're sleeping, right? We're <laughs> late at night digging in there, trying to figure out and find the trends. So I think, you know, from a consumer standpoint, it helps build the relationship because it's mm-hmm. like, I'm about to open up my kimono and, and show you everything. Yeah. And on the consultant side, it really helps to show your worth when, you wake up that next morning and have a bunch of ideas, whether they thought about it or not, but you didn't come in, uh, okay, let's look at this, you know, for the first time. Like I'm, I'm working while you're sleeping, I've got your back. And it's yeah. a good way to bring that relationship together right off the bat. As soon as you get the data, react quick on it is always my suggestion. Uh, that makes perfect sense. And, and I hadn't really thought about the relational aspect for the advantage of data, right? I mean, clearly, clearly having a good, clean, objective data makes what would otherwise be nebulous or abstract abstract problems concrete, right? And once you understand specifically what the concrete problem is, the solution that you will formulize or theorize and then put into practice will inevitably be more effective, should be anyway, right? Than it would be if you were just working on this abstract or nebulous problem without the data. That said, the, the last point you just made, I really hadn't considered. And it, it goes straight back to authority. And so it's shame on me, but uh, for not thinking about this, but the data itself, you, a consultant's ability to bring, uh, identify, aggregate, analyze, diagnose with data behind it right. will only increase, should only increase the trust level that exists between that consultant and that company. The corollary must also be true. If, if we accept that as truth, then we have to accept the corollary as truth, which is without that data, the trust level won't be as high, right? May still be good, yeah. But yeah. but the data will lock in and cement that relationship even more so than it was previous. So again, just just trying to uh, operationalize this point and really internalize it for my own benefit, and hopefully other other listeners are getting that as well. Uh, that's huge. You know, I I often I I am the commentary guy, Mike. Sure. I I am often the guy that will start and have the conversation and you do have to have that conversation, oh, but, course. but oftentimes I will not dismiss, but I will often defer or delay or diminish the value of certain data points because I'm speaking to the emotional or psychological needs of the decision maker. And of course, from a sales point, you have to do that. But from a, from an implementation standpoint and a practical standpoint and solving the problem standpoint, if those emotional psychological issues aren't cemented in data, then your ability to affect meaningful change as quickly and easily as possible is not going to be as good. If you don't start from the same point of this is what this is how we're going to say we're successful, then yeah. you know, you can have the goals and all like the, you know, in 10 years we want to be here, we want to improve cash flow. But if we don't have these specific criteria points, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever metrics, key performance indicators you want to use, 
because it's not there. And I think that most consultants stop there and say, okay, I've got my KPIs in place. And for me, I, I like to dive digger into, deeper into it and kind of figure out where is this coming from? Who's inputting it? What's that process like to get this data? Because that's where you're really finding the, the heartbeat of the company, you know, is just yeah. follow those data points through. And again, you're, you're saying it perfectly well. I mean, it, you can use it to be reactive, but if you can find that to then as a consultant, and sit here and just try to bring us to the next level. How do you leapfrog? It's not easy and it's not always that simple. You can't always find it. But when you're approaching it from that manner, you have this opportunity that you're out of the fray and right. you focus. That's right. So so use your experience because you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've only been consulting in this consulting world truly for about a year and some change here, where I'm realizing relationships are everything. If mm-hmm. you don't trust me and I don't trust you, I'm not on your team. We're not, you know, this is going to be adversary. We're wasting our time and money. Yeah. So, you know, to, to use that data as a way to kind of help them and say, hey, I'm, I'm in your shoes. I'm feeling it. If I'm you, this is how I'm using the data as a consultant. It kind of brings you right next to them and saying, yeah, okay. You know, I gave you this. I didn't scare you away. I'm not embarrassed, but we're making some forward looking decisions. Yeah, that's good. A couple more places I want to go. Again, now that you've been on both sides of it, you kind of have a, a solid perspective on this question. What would you say are the keys to effectively consulting with a larger organization? So I know you work in small to mid-size, but you were a large organization. Yep. And small to mid-size is, is a relative term, right? For for some people, mid-size is, you know, $10 million and for others it's 30 or 50 million. So, but you don't have to define those things. But what's your perspective in terms of what does an effective consultant do? within a mid-size or larger organization that the mediocre or average consultant might not do or might not do as well to affect change in that in that organizational world. I, I, I can't speak on, you know, what, what others do. I can just speak mm-hmm. on, you know, my personal experience and where I, you know, flubbed up and, you know, did really well, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, it, it happens, but you've got to have this really introspective kind of viewpoint of yourself and no judgment, but just kind of see how did things happen and, um, which is really hard to do in the heat of the moment, you know, especially when you think you have a great idea and you're getting hit by, we tried that and it won't work because of that and that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to kind of uh, stay that, stay the course. But what I have noticed with the larger the organization, the benefit is that is the maturity is usually a step above, you know, a smaller organization, whether it's processes, documented job descriptions, you know, org charts in place. So, you know, the communication flow and what people are doing is a little, it should be more defined in these right. organizations. So that's beautiful. And for me, one of the keys is number one, let's, let's leverage that. So you last thing you want to do is start trying to move people around. Like for me, it's keep what we have because we're trying to change strategy. Obviously, if we're, I hate to say it, but you know, if you're, you're in, you know, turnaround mode, you, you need to yeah. move things around and, and, and trim up where you need to, you know, that's the time to organize it. But Try not to mess with the system too much, you know, because obviously it's gotten them there and it's the, you know, it's their way of doing it, you know, and, and that's usually why their repeat customers are their repeat customers. So, you know, first and foremost, I think one of the keys is to understand how the communication is flowing, who's doing what. And in that time, you've got to make your decision on, you know, kind of gut check of who's your internal consultant team, who are the real go-getters that you can kind of bring together in this massive organization to get the real talk. So that's kind of step one. And then mm-hmm. the other critical piece, and this is where, again, I can't speak to others, but for me, where I dive in there is then, all right, you got the right people in the right seats. And I put that in quotes because you don't know at this point, right? Yeah. You, you think, and that's what the organization has set up. 
but then I feel like maybe what others don't do enough of, you know, I, I can't say it with confidence. Just what I do is boots on the floor. That to me, the people that are boxing it, they're setting up, they're inspecting, that are writing the procedures, you know, not the key decision makers, you know, at the top, but it's the people at the, the bottom. The ops and implementation folks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm there with them figuring out, okay, what is it that, how are you making your decision? What is, oh, wow. You got to wait for that. Wow. That's annoying. And whoa, that's not safe. You know, like those things when you're on the floor to see it, but I do that after I've already understood the top decision makers priorities. Right. Because if I just focus on their priorities, I'm going to miss all the special magic that can make us more efficient down here and really prove my bill and, and pay for myself. Yeah. You know, but I, I try to start here, use the defined, you know, communication strategies in place and then just spend my time down here trying to make our job with people on the floor as easy as possible, you know, improve the culture there. And then it ripples up the opposite way. It's a great note. And again, you're speaking from your experience in manufacturing, which makes perfect sense, but the application carries over to professional service organization, right? Uh, you know, sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum, there's always going to be that hierarchy, right? There's always going to be the ops and implementation folks who are doing the work. And then there's always going to be the executive decision makers who rightfully and by right and, and by essential nature have to be removed from that. And so what you're getting at is what are the priorities, objective challenges at the executive level? Okay, let's understand those. Then let's go down and look at the actual operations implementation of the company organization. And we can probably solve both sets of problems, maybe with the same solution set, right? right? Yeah. Uh, And and the other note that I think is really important too, is for large organizations, because their maturity level, uh, you were talking about, I wrote down optimization versus overhaul. So a smaller, and this makes perfect sense, logically, when you think about smaller organizations, especially ones that want to grow or that are in growth mode, they tend to need to and want to and are able to transform, be more agile, make changes faster. And, and because they need to, they should, they can, right? And so in, in that instance, if a consultant's going and engaging those types of organizations, it may not be a pure overhaul, but it is significant change that may be required and may be the, the mandate of the day. The larger the organization, we're not so much looking for overhaul, there are, there are exceptions, right? The extreme turnaround situations right. and those kinds of things. But as a rule, we're looking for optimization of what already exists. And so I think that's a really important, if you think about that on a spectrum, I can imagine a consultant using that almost as a visual and going in and having a conversation with the powers that be and basically say, you know, where do you perceive you are on the spectrum related right. to these different issues? Yeah. Well, and I have to always remind myself that if it wasn't as, if there was a, a, a silver bullet, that they wouldn't need you as a consultant. So you're being yeah. brought in because it's super complex. And complexity, when I hear that, that just means multiple people having a, being connected to this. Yeah. Because the less people that are in it, it's very easy. And I say that for a smaller organization because you can turn on a dime. So yeah, yeah I, I think that that's just you know pretty critical to, just to keep in mind. That's good. Two more quick questions. One is you alluded to the church consulting model previously about how you guys have sort of built out your consulting practice how you're building out your consulting practice. And I really like the model. And I think it's, it may not be unique, but it's rare. And I think it's exceptional. And I think it's one that is worthy of, of awareness and, and potentially emulation. So would you mind, you don't have to go into detail about it, but just conceptually what the church consulting model looks like in, in general. 
Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, I mean, what it, it really is based off at the at the end of the day, it's it's a group of very accomplished CEOs, 30, 40 years of experience, but all have an area of specialty of passion. And they're at that stage in their career where, you know, they, they've, they're really just trying to get back and, and take this knowledge that we've learned from these larger corporations and now bring it into, you know, that middle market and small market to help like I said before, it's the true backbone of, of the U.S. economy is that small middle market that right. we, we don't feel get enough lip service or enough support. You know, it's out there, you know, I'm, I'm over being dramatic, but, you know, we're that's why we want to focus on that, because that's the world that we live, that I lived and, and I understand it. I empathize with it. Um, but what I like about the business model is that it, it, each one of us are on um, not as a W-2 employee, you know, we're on as a 1099 so that we're never mm-hmm. in this position to try to jam someone you know, that's sitting idle. We, we start this process because we have all of our different, you know, every CEO has a different method to their madness and different way about them. But what we do is we start everyone the same way. And this is again, through collaboration, we teamed up with the journey system, the journey online business assessment tool. So mm-hmm. that's going to help us really get their priorities in the business owner's words, because if you can get it in their words as a consultant, the more that you can use their terminology, the more on the team you are, you know, it's those subtle little things that, you know, you're calling it whip, you know, and you're, you're, you're just using the router packets, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's their terms. So we start them the same way. And that allows us to do, you know, number one, get their priorities in their words, but two allows us to do qual- put quality control from yeah. all of these different CEOs that might come through. And when we go through that process, now we have your priorities. We sit back down with you and say, okay, here's our suggestions. You know, it's not just, you know, here's how you ranked, but here's our suggestions on where we'd start each situation is different, whether cash flow is the issue, getting inventory right. reduced, increasing sales, cost reduction, you name it. You know, we let that situation kind of dictate what we think the priorities are. And then we just offer up, here's what we can do, whether it's these different people for your inventory, you know, for me personally, I, yes, I can touch on the operation side, but I love business to business sales. I love that relationship mm-hmm. building. So when you need top line support in the manufacturing setting, I'm coming in, you know, and yeah. I'm going to, you know, do my experience because I've been in this world and I'm not telling you what to do. I'm understanding first. And I think that's what a lot makes us different is that we try to understand first. The last thing I briefly mentioned it, but again, staying in our lane of collaboration, we're bringing in Untwine AI. And that's now for us to take this concept of digital transformation, data analytics, but bring resources, not a church consulting person trying to say, hey, I'm going to say that I'm the data analytics expert. We're bringing in that because it's such a big part, you know, to help people leapfrog that we want to bring Untwine in. And so the way that we're helping go to market right now is that we're opening up uh, these one hour proof of concept sessions to really get the experts around the table, just listening to you. So yes, we can, you know, after that, we can go through the assessment, all that fun stuff if you want to, but it's really just to say, what's your issue? Maybe it's something very specific and I have the data. I don't know where to start. We're right. all going to get around the table and help you, or at least just ask your specific questions of, I don't trust this. What is this? You know, we can right. dive into it. So that's a little bit about us. Yeah, I think the model is fantastic. So just to sort of rearticulate it for my own benefit, prospect relationships identified, opportunity to do a broad evaluate, objective evaluation-based initial assessment. That assessment is conducted directly by church consulting. The findings and, and objective data that's discovered from that is now the starting point for everything else. Mm-hmm. There's alignment between church consulting and your new client. Mm-hmm. And then based on what's discovered from that objective evaluation, 
Church Consulting has a, a roster of highly accomplished individuals with different areas of expertise, not only individuals, but also resource partners right. uh, that you can bring to bear. And then that, that objective evaluation and the strategy that comes from that is then dictating the implementation, who gets introduced into the organization, what happens first, second, third, fourth to affect the change you're trying to achieve. Yeah. We, we, you don't want us not, you're not, that's fine. You know, that's why we're trying to keep this business model where it's at. Yeah. That's, I think it's a, it's a really, I love the streamlined nature of the model. I love the simplicity of the model, at least conceptually, I'm sure, you know, uh, implementing it has its own, own challenges, just like any business would, but the streamlined and simplicity of it, plus the nature of the relationships now between the resources you're bringing, the partners you're bringing and the client incentives are complete alignment there, right? You're not going to have inherent bias in terms in the midst of those relationships like you might have if everything was internal to church. So I think it's really, really fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Last question. uh, And then I want you to let people know how they can learn more about you, how they can learn more about church consulting. But the question I, I, I like to end most of my conversations with is you've still got plenty of career ahead of you, but in in the career that you've had, in the background, all the experiences that you've had, what would you say, and it can be personal or professional or both, what would you say is your greatest lesson learned? The first thing that comes to mind as I as I sit back and kind of think about just kind of going through that timeline, I, I think you, you really got to understand first. And I think that that comment can be applied to everything that we talked about in every relationship or even as a leader, as just a teammate, you need to have true empathy. And I don't mm-hmm. think that enough people do that. We're all in our heads. Half our life is in here, right? So in, yeah. in our heads. So we we're so looking at us. What does this do for me, my family, my goals? And I think, it's a rare thing for someone to be able to flip it and say, okay, if I'm really in, you know, this is a, a purchasing engagement. And if I'm really in the purchasing manager's space and, oh man, I, you know, when you really feel that, that, that really takes time to kind of make better decisions because then you're now, everything's coming from that place. And the biggest thing for me is when I can understand what lens someone's looking at it. And what I mean by that is what's their experience? What's their motivators? Yeah. What kind of family do they have? Why are they at work? Is it, you know, like when you can understand that as a leader, is when you can bring it into terms to help the company and them. And I can give a tiny, tiny example. This is one of the yeah. best people that we ever, you know, ever hired. And she had, you know, no background uh, in manufacturing, but she just rose to the ranks because what I was able to do is figure out early on that her ultimate dream was to have this pastry cupcake and, and yo- frozen yogurt shop in the future. Cool. So everything that I did brought it back to, and you know, she was a trainer to be a logistics manager. So we're not, you know, raw coils is your flour and eggs. Right? So, <laughs> but what I started to do is bring all of this into context, into her lens. So everything I did was training. So it made sense for her because this now wasn't just a nine to five and I'm stuck. It's, yeah. This is my means to getting the skill sets to go where I want to go. And it doesn't start if you don't start with understanding. So that's the one thing. And the other thing that I, I feel like I have to say, it's it change can't happen until you see it in your head, till you say it out loud, till you write it down. You know, if, if it stays in your head, it's just going to stay a thought. And whether that's consulting, whether that's personal goals in your life or anything you want, you need to put it out there and either tell the team, write down your draft proposal, you know, really start to take it from here and into reality. And you'll be amazed at how much the world, the team starts opening up. Those are great. Thank you for sharing. I, uh, I 
Mike, I've got uh, two full pages of notes here. <laughs> I, I usually take notes to help me sort of model and, and manage and outline the conversation as we go. I, you know, I write something down to call back to it or ask you a follow-up, and some of that's there, but the vast majority of this is just stuff that I need to be thinking about implementing. So I appreciate uh, your time and your willingness to, to share your insights and your thoughts with everyone here today. If someone wants to find out more about Mike Churcherillo or Church Consulting, uh, how can they access you guys, find out more about you all? Sure. Uh, just shoot, shoot an email to start, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at church, C-H-I-R-C-H dot com. Um, so that's church with an I. Um, that's the best way. I'm, I'm all about one-on-ones, you know, to, to really, like I said, under, and I'm not just saying it just to say it. It's, you know, I really like to understand the lens that people look at life from and to see where that kind of commonality is to, to leverage. So that that's number one. And other than that, go to LinkedIn. You know, there's a lot, mm-hmm. there's a lot around that. Let's connect on LinkedIn. It's going to tell you a little bit more about the personal training and the other mental wellness businesses that, you know, I'm involved in, but yeah, that's just a good starting point. That's excellent. Uh, Mike, thank you again for taking some time to be part of Consulting with Authority. And for everyone out there, I hope you found tremendous value. If you were paying attention, I know you did. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Be well, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.